Hi, everybody, and welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Uh, we're bringing you the best minds in functional medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Kara Fitzgerald, and today I'm excited to say we have a great guest who will give us lots of, again, user-friendly tips, which is what I'm aiming to do here, uh, in guiding our patients around eating healthy and affordably. My guest name is Jennifer Fugo. She's the founder of the Gluten-Free School and teaches gluten-sensitive individuals simple, savvy, and empowering steps for getting healthy. And I do want to reiterate that she extends beyond gluten, but that's, that's her jumping point. And we will, we will actually talk about some hidden sources of gluten that, uh, as doctors, we can often miss uh, in advising our patients. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, Jennifer's been living gluten-free since early 2008 after she was diagnosed with gluten sensitivity, and she knows what it's like to feel overwhelmed by the cost and seemingly complicated aspects of going gluten-free. She's a sought-after expert, advocate, and speaker about healthy gluten-free living. She's been featured on Dr. Oz, Yahoo News, eHow, CNN, and Philadelphia Magazine. She was the host of the Women's Gluten-Free Health Summit, and she's the best-selling author be behind the groundbreaking book, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, How to Eat Healthy Without Breaking the Bank. Jennifer, welcome to New Frontiers. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Fitzgerald. Yes, absolutely. My pleasure. Now, incidentally, I've spent some time with your ebook, uh, and we will provide a link for your for the ebook, and we'll pro provide a link to your site. Um, your ebook is a treasure trove of resources. So, bravo! And I know it's done very okay. well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, that was my goal, and I was actually speaking to a client yesterday, and she said that she's been recommending it to everyone, regardless of whether they're gluten free or not, because really. When you look at it, I framed it around gluten-free, but in reality, the tips are universal to helping anyone start to eat better, and especially if someone's on a budget or you know that they're, you know, for example, in the process of going through, you know, seeing a functional medicine specialist and they're, they're spending a lot of money on supplements and things and you want to make sure they stay compliant so they're concerned, like, where can I maybe save a little bit, and there are ways to do that while still eating a really healthy, clean, nutrient-dense diet. So it's a great way to, to share some information with patients that will keep them happy, and they don't feel like they're, you know, spending exorbitant amounts of money on everything, and then they just can't continue on. Yes. And that's ultimately the goal, is to, to help with compliance and get people to a state where they actually feel better. Yeah, absolutely. And we do prescribe, as you and I were just talking about before we started the podcast, you know, I routinely prescribe some uh, challenging elimination diets, you know, and on top of doing the diet, I want them to buy clean sources of foods, you know, and I, before I had a nutritionist on staff, I needed to do all the advising around those pieces, and it's extremely difficult. Uh, you know, you are truly a treasure in stepping up to the plate and doing this. Um, and I want to talk about your background, because I know you needed to do an elimination diet, and ultimately it seemed, you know, your main food issue was with gluten. Uh, but you had to tussle through all of this yourself, implementing elimination diet and doing it in a way that was realistic and affordable. So, you know, tell me a little bit about your story. Sure. So I... Back in like 2007, I was about, I was 27 years old at the time, and 
Yeah, you think like you're in your like mid to late twenties. You're like this vibrant person, you know. Like you mm-hmm. should really. I, I don't know. That's just how I thought my life should be. I should be able to go out. I should have fun. I should feel great. And instead. I was so tired, so exhausted. I was constantly sick to my stomach. Um, I had terrible gas. I had horrible bloating. And I had started to gain in probably less than a year. I had put on almost 20 pounds. And I'd gone to all these doctors. And, you know, there's, I get, they don't, traditional doctors in the more like conventional style don't always recognize some of these things that we talk about. They're starting to come around with this stuff. And even my family doctor is starting to, which is wonderful. But the recommendations where your blood looks, blood work looks fine. So why don't you just take some B vitamins and call it a day? Mm-hmm. And that didn't really resonate with me because I felt that something was really wrong And I had a bunch of other symptoms. I had had chronic headaches since I was a teenager, so I'd been taking Tylenol for a very long time, multiple times a week. Um, You know, I had skin rashes. I didn't even connect any of that to, like, my digestive issues. And I finally landed in an office with a nutritionist who was more functional-minded, and she was actually the one who had told me about the Institute for Functional Medicine, And she's looking over my food, and I come from a pretty traditional Italian-American family. I'm actually the old, my sister and I are the only two in our family that are 100% Italian still. Our great-grandparents came here from Italy, so we still have a lot of traditional things that our family does and eats, and we love to garden and all sorts of stuff, and it was literally everything in my diet was that was making me sick, and she looked over and saw how much gluten was in my diet and was just like, um, do you know what gluten is? You might want to try <laughs> taking this out. Right. It took out gluten, but I was still getting really sick, and so that that's a funny thing. I'm known for gluten, but the reality is I actually have a, a much worse sensitivity to eggs, mm-hmm. and I also have an equally um, equally strong sensitivity to dairy, and then I was, we also found through doing some IgG blood work um, that I'm also sensitive to the cruciferous family and the cashew family. Wow. Wow. All right. So, Jennifer, <laughs> you had to figure out how to do this. And, you know, from reading your book, not only did you have to figure out how to implement this diet, and I'm sure that it was incredibly daunting as it is for, you know, all really most of my patients. I have some savvy people come through the door already, but really it's an intense process. So you had to figure out how to do the diet and because of some circumstances that you can share about, you had to do this on a serious shoestring. Well, so a year later, and that's when the shoestring part comes in, I actually felt a lot better from taking all these things out, and I was able to do it. I lost that 20 pounds of inflammatory, um, we'll just put weight in quotation marks, and Mm -hmm. all the other problems resolved themselves until about a year later. The one mistake that I made that I was never told was don't binge on gluten-free products. Right. And so I became a big fan of anything that was marked gluten-free. Right. And a year later, I ended up with stage 3 adrenal fatigue and candida. Uh, and right. at the same time, my husband, so this is like 2009, it was around the time when a lot of companies were laying people off. My husband was suddenly laid off. Mm-hmm. And we lost two-thirds of our income. And so I'm now faced with having to pay for all these this expensive testing out-of-pocket 
seeing the functional practitioner, getting the supplements, and now I've got to clean my diet out even further. And I freaked yeah. because I thought, like, how am I going to be able to end, make ends meet? I don't want to go through my savings. Um, my husband, you know, is not going to be able to help me, and that was an added stressor for him. So I had, you know, that was the thing. It was a defining moment in my life because I realized that I was faced with this conundrum of what am I going to do because everything is pointing toward I actually can't do this. And mm-hmm. I was determined to find a solution to that problem. That's amazing. And I really did. And that's how the book came about was I started thinking about what can I do on a daily basis that will allow me to be compliant and to take steps in the right direction. Right. Let me so just. I can eat well. Yeah, me, I want to just interject and then because I, I want to hear the details around that. And I know you'll have some tips for us too. But so you originally, you've got adequate money to basically go and buy what you need. And you get into the habit as um, um, some of our patients well of just buying this these gluten-free grain alternatives and so you're eating this heavy carb diet and you end up getting really sick because you're eating probably you know lots of rice flour and rice flour cookies etc etc and so you come to the awareness that a you've got to pull out all of these gluten-free processed foods that they're making you sicker and b this incredibly expensive diet isn't working for you so now you have to implement a new elimination diet without the processed foods and you need to do it on a budget um, and, all right. Okay, so go to, so pick up from there and talk about that. So what I figured out was that number one, there are stages that you can go through to start making changes, and this is where the book. And I've actually done this for, um, as I've shared with you, I'm, I'm in the process of going through a master's in nutrition, and I've had to develop, start working on meal plans and doing all this stuff. And it's like, how do you get a person that? Number one is unaware of the numerous um, quality issues with food, Mm -hmm. plus the the cost issue involved in products. And and just in case you have a client or a patient that objects to eating more whole food and they are making the same mistake that I did, which was eating all these gluten-free products, is that gluten-free products, they actually did a study on this, and they found that gluten-free products on average two and a half times more expensive than their conventional gluten-filled counterparts. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's kind of low from what I found because I go into the supermarket and I also often cost compare. And so what I discovered was that, number one, if you start taking out the gluten-free products and integrating in more whole foods, you're, you're, you're going to save money there. Mm-hmm. But then it's a matter of prioritizing. And I think that that's the most important thing because you're going to have – patients that will come to a practitioner that have varying degrees of financial means. And for some, it may be saying, okay, like, let's take a look at the dirty dozen list. Let's prioritize what is most important. You know, I personally think that if you have to make a decision, I'd say go with the dirty dozen list and then also to say, hey, listen, maybe you want to look for the wild caught fish yes. and the grass-fed beef and, you know, maybe some of these other things like avocados and onions and sweet potatoes, we're not going to worry about those so much to be organic. We're going to save money there. Yes. And how can you, you know, go to stores and work the system essentially because the store is working us. 
A yeah. lot of shoppers don't realize that there's a lot of marketing and psychology that goes into a grocery store. They don't just randomly throw things up on shelves or organize them so that you know, okay, I'm going to go through and I'm going to pick up these items here and there. There's a heck of a lot of psychology that goes into people buying more things than they really want to buy and oftentimes not finding things that are better for them because the company that may produce them doesn't have the marketing budget to, say, get their products on the shelf that's at eye level. Mm-hmm. Like, so... That's such a a great pearl. Thank you. Yeah. There's a combination of a bunch of different factors here. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that when you learn how to do all of that, and it's actually not that much. It's just becoming savvy and aware of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And on top of it, learning how to meal plan, which is like the most unsexy practice that you could ever share with a a client or a patient, but it is the most effective because mm-hmm. nobody ever is like, oh, meal planning. I know I need to do it, but I don't want to. But if you can teach someone how to do it and then they get to a place where they can just do it in their head, that's ultimately my goal when I work with clients is that they're saving so much money. They're reducing food waste at home and they have food that's saved up and ready. Like I call it their fast food because it's in the freezer and it's something they could pull out and heat up. Right their life becomes so much easier and they'll notice that their grocery bills start to really diminish because there's more intelligence going into the whole process of buying, preparing, cooking, and then sometimes also reheating food that's safe for them to eat. Right. So you've got, so you're en- so entering the grocery store for you, obviously you're avoiding the processed foods. You're, I, I appreciate you bringing in the idea of eating cleanly because that's really virtual. That's as important for me when I'm working with my patients as the elimination diet, because I know toxins promote the diseases I'm attempting to treat. So I do address clean eating. Um, but we need to make it reasonable. And I do, I, I absolutely agree with you that the dirty dozen is where to start. So those are the most, uh, those, those are the, the top foods that are, you know, just laden in multiple different pesticide residue. Um, so you're in the grocery store, you're armed with the top dirty dozen, so you know you can avoid those. And the Environmental Working Group also gives us the clean 15. So you know the foods that are going to be safer for you to eat um, in non-organic form. Uh, you're avoiding the processed stuff. It looks. It sounds like you're looking for less popular brands, ones that aren't uh, marketed so aggressively. Are there any other grocery store tips before we move into the home and talk about some home tips? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm more than happy to to share any particulars about like meat um, or anything else as well. But um, one of the cool things that I suggest to people is checking out. I know that it's not necessarily fresh, but it isn't not fresh either, which is frozen um, vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like absolutely. They can be, they can cut down on your cooking time dramatically. And so much food now, you can find chopped up onions, you can find um, butternut squash chopped up, you can find collard greens chopped up. So you could just easily throw them into a soup or a stew. If you're asking your patients or clients to get more nutrient-dense food, you have to think about, you know, what are the hurdles that they're going to cross? And one is going to always be, for the most part, financial. And the second will be time. Mm 
Right. And if you can solve those two problems, those are usually the two biggest reasons why they don't comply with things because at the end of the day, you can give a patient really beautiful elimination diet that you're like, this is going to do amazing things. I think we need to give it a shot. And they'll go, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And when they get to the grocery store, they will do what they want to do mm-hmm. because they don't have the tools to know how to make it feasible for them. So I do recommend that the first time, like if I, if a, if a client is sent to me from a doctor and they have a pretty strict protocol, the first thing that I'll do is ask them to go to the grocery store once without even intending to buy anything. So it's sort of like you're spending 30 minutes just getting yourself acclimated to the pricing. I mean, that's the other part of this is just knowing how, a lot of people don't know when things are what their value is and, you know, knowing that, oh, you could spend, um, let's say, two fifty nine on a bag of fresh green beans, but you could go into the freezer aisle and get them, especially if they're on sale for like a dollar for hmm. the same amount. Mm-hmm. So, And you might say, well, that's, that's such a small savings. But the reality is if you're doing that every week on multiple items throughout your grocery list, it actually adds up to be quite a significant savings. And then with time, as you continue to do this, it now becomes more feasible for your client to buy grass-fed meat or to buy wild sockeye salmon or all these other things that are perceived as being more expensive. They now have the budget to do it. Right. Got it. So the first, so your homework assignment to your clients is to just go to the grocery store, start paying attention to price differences. And I like that tip. I I absolutely agree with you. There are appropriate times to use frozen. You know, the other piece is that we can buy in bulk at certain, you know, at certain groceries. I mean, I grew up, interestingly enough, working in our local food co-op where my mom shopped and everything was in bulk, you know, back back then, back in the 70s and 80s. But now it's not quite as popular. So you, maybe you find bulk in local health food stores, and I know Whole Foods has some. Um, if you're moving people into onto legumes, that would be a great place to get bulk. And, you know, any other, any other comments around that or... Additions. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the one thing I have to say is if you're telling your patients that they have to be gluten-free, you can, you have to advise them that they, you know, bulk is great, but they cannot go into the bulk food aisle of any grocery store unless it is like a gluten-free, you know, one of these, and they're very few and far between, a certified gluten-free store. Ah. Um, because there's so much contamination in the bulk food aisle. Because, number one, you don't know what was in that bin prior. Right. You don't know where that person put the tongs or the spoon because people just don't care and they just put it wherever. You don't know if the wheat or something else that's up above may be contaminated if the dust has settled and drifted down through the various cubes that hold different types of food. So you can't, it doesn't matter whether it's nuts, or grains or beans, you don't know what was in there prior. And there also was a study done at some point several years ago about the the idea that, unfortunately, our grain supply, even though there's gluten-free grains out there like rice, quinoa, millet, etc., they tend to be pretty contaminated with gluten. So I know it's silly and we see all these jokes about gluten-free water and gluten-free nuts and gluten-free. There is a benefit at the least to having bags that are marked gluten-free because now with the FDA, the those companies have to comply with that statement. So I don't tell, what I do not say to people is, oh, you can go to the grocery store, just find the cheapest brand of, um, you know, rice 
or quinoa, and you can buy that bag in bulk. You know, because some stores will sell really big bags. You know, uh, I don't even know how how heavy my my parents like to buy them, but. <laughs> You can't do that if it's not marked gluten-free. So you oh, do, even it. with legumes, you have to look for companies that are actually testing their product because you can't wash it off. You don't know that it's gone, and especially for someone with celiac disease who has a pretty high sensitivity to gluten, they could end up with a really big problem. Now, one of the nice things about Amazon is that you can buy from companies that you know, why, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Amazon offers bulk options to buy cases of something. And you can also, I mean, Costco is everywhere. I've heard wonderful things about Costco specifically. So maybe getting a membership to Costco would make a lot of sense as far as buying some of these dry ingredients as well in bulk. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're so when you're buying any form of gluten-free grain or if you're buying legumes, you cannot go you cannot go to the bulk bins where you download, you know, you just drop some into your the plastic bags nope. that they give you because it's contaminated. That's a that's Correct. a great that's a great pearl. Um, so you so your recommendation is that you actually purchase these items um, where the company that's selling them is labeling them as gluten free and then they're complying to FDA that they indeed are not contaminated with gluten. Is that correct? That I mean, there's arguments around the 20 parts per million FDA gluten free definition, but for all intents and purposes, yes, they they should if they were tested beneath the 20 parts per million threshold. Okay, okay. So anything that's loose, so, it, you know, again, flowers, if, even if it's like sugars, any type of loose ingredients, you can't just buy on their own, unfortunately. Okay, okay. So then good resources for doing this bulk purchasing could be, could be Costco. You could check that out. I'm not too familiar with it, but, yeah, I am absolutely familiar with buying bulk on Amazon, and I think that's um, that's a really good idea. Do you so then with with regard to beans? I mean, it's infinitely cheaper to buy them dried if your patients are eating legumes. I know some of our I sometimes prescribe, you know, a, a, a low legume diet um, or a full paleo diet. So not everybody's eating them in my practice. But for those folks who who do, but they need to remain gluten free. Are you recommending canned beans at this point? Or are there dried sources that have been have been tested? Yeah, absolutely. There are okay. companies that do all sorts of really great things um, and offer sprout. Even um, they'll offer soaked and slightly sprouted versions of legumes, which is great because it reduces the cooking time. They're a little more expensive because the company did the work for you, but you know that they're gluten-free, and sometimes the cooking time is cut in half. Um, which is really great, but I always recommend to people if you're gonna, if you are eating legumes, like if you have the time, cook them yourself because mm-hmm. by far number one, hopefully you'll be able to soak them and then maybe even cook them with some kombu, which will add in some really great minerals and um, help reduce the gassiness that can happen when people will eat beans. And we really want to try to encourage people to prepare food because, right, every food doesn't – when we think of, like, food prep, people want to do it in, like, 10 minutes or less, and that's not always practical. However, if you can, you know, say, get some of these legumes that are in bags from companies that are certified gluten-free or at least mark them gluten-free and then cook them yourself – they can keep in the fridge for a few days, but you can also freeze them, mm-hmm. which is great. So they'll stay for 
three weeks to a month. So you might only have to cook legumes once, and then you can freeze them and have them in either single-serving containers or, um, you know, baggies or whatever it may be to help you manage time a little easier. And it's, I mean, if you think about one can of organic beans, and I know, you know, BPA is certainly an mm-hmm. issue. Yep. You're looking at cans that can cost two to three or so dollars for a can. Yeah. So you could get a whole bag for maybe five, and you're looking at a pound, two pounds of beans that grow dramatically in size. So ultimately, if you do eat legumes, it's actually much more cost-effective to make them yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're avoiding the BPA, which you pointed out. Um, Bisphenol A, which will, you know, it's an endocrine disruptor. It promotes allergic disease, and, you know, there's been a whole... There's been a lot of research out on it, um, and the and the, the secondary compound that's replacing some BPA cans. I um, that can be tricky. So if you are going to buy canned goods, do you have any uh, any advice around avoiding BPA? Like how how one might do that because it's not always stated on the cans. No, it's not. And I actually don't. I mean, I just tell people to try to not buy that. I mean, if you're going to buy canned products. You really want to look for that label. If you don't see it, then try and look. Maybe search the company's name and BPA free mm-hmm. um, on Google. I mean, most of us have smartphones at this point, so we should use them when we're. I'm notorious for standing in the middle of an aisle and like looking things up. If you don't find it there, just call the number on the back of the can. Um, I've done that many times, and usually they'll have customer service reps pick up quickly, and you can ask them any questions you want about the nutritional information or the gluten-free status or any other allergen concerns or BPA concerns with cans and packaging. So, you know, don't be, don't be weirded out by the idea of having to make a phone call in the middle of the grocery store because that might open up a whole new avenue of food possibility for you at the end of the day. Or you might say, you know what, oops, I, I probably should find another thing or I'll, I'll get it on Amazon. Yeah. Um, because at least Amazon can ship it to you and you know you're, you know, you're going to avoid the BPA. Yeah, absolutely. I know it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame that some uh, organic brands don't look into BPA and other, you know, packaging toxins. But in, I've, I've confronted that myself. Um, all right, so you're moving people over to a whole foods diet. You're getting them familiar with the Dirty Dozen, the Clean 15, and some of the, some of the toxins in packaging. Um, and now they're, um, and also the contamination in bulk. I think that that's huge, and that's a nice little aha for me. <laughs> uh, now they're home. Um, and there you've talked, you know, you talked about freezing, but, you know, how do they move into this Whole Foods? Actually, you know what, before we talk about home, I want to talk about home, but I realized actually the other two points I wanted to talk to you about, uh, eating locally and going to farmer's markets and your thoughts on that. And also consume, um, uh, community supported agriculture, you know, having produce delivered from the local farms to your house. Any thoughts on that, Jennifer? Are you, are you doing that and, or recommending it? I absolutely think that they're wonderful if you have them available. Mm-hmm. So for me, I don't have a CSA that's local for me. There may be more where if I lived in Philadelphia, the city proper, but and I actually know that there are 
are not in the suburbs. So I have access to a farmer's market, which is wonderful. And I do frequent my farmer's market. And I encourage people to look those up because ultimately you can talk to your farmer and you can get to know them. And you want, I mean, my one farmer that I visit religiously every Saturday, they even told me, come to our farm anytime you want. You're more than welcome to come around and see the cows and see the field. I mean, that's the best when you can really talk to them and know what they're doing because my farmer is not certified organic because it was too expensive. However, they actually farm beyond organic. So they're looking at um, the grass farming techniques and other farming techniques that are well beyond that certification being used by like Joel Saladin down in Shenandoah Valley and other farmers that are really pioneering this um, getting away from even just the organic standard, which they feel is not good enough either. Mm -hmm. So you need to talk to your farmers. And one of the cool things about farmers markets is some of them do, you know, for if you have any patients or clients that are, are, we'll just say strapped <laughs> for, for finances um, and some who might be uh, have like access to food stamps. A lot of farmers markets actually take food stamps. So, you know, that shouldn't be a limiting factor. They could actually go and buy better quality food there. But one of the cool things about a farmer's market that I discovered is if you go toward the end, and so you, you're kind of at the mercy of whatever's left over, but a lot of times farmers will want to get rid of things. And so you'll be able to bargain with them, and instead of getting a pound of tomatoes for, you know, a few dollars, I've at times gotten a whole box. That's of, great. I mean, it must have been five, six, seven pounds of tomatoes for four or five bucks. Oh, instead, that's really great. You get rid of them. So that's the only thing. You don't know what's going to be left, and you, you don't know if they're going to be willing to do that, but that can be a really great thing um, to do as well. And then the thing is, a lot of times they'll want to get rid of stuff that's like on the verge of mm-hmm. going bad. Mm-hmm. So they will mark it down, but that means if you're going to buy it, you've got to be committed to processing it in your home, whether if it's tomatoes, you're going to make tomato sauce or, you know, do something with them to, to process the tomatoes, otherwise they're going to go bad. Or this, you know, if you get fruit that's like on the verge of going bad, if you cut it up and take the skin off or whatever it may be, you, know, you can freeze a lot of it mm-hmm. in your mm-hmm. freezer for a good month or two, which is great. So if you haven't figured out already, if you can get a, a second freezer that is amazing (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not all of us have the room but having space in your your freezer should be more than just like a place for ice cream it really should be a place to store food um and i do i do highly encourage people to go to those different outlets um but i'll also say too um and i think it's important for people to know you can get grass a lot of places will offer grass-fed um, meats now in the grocery store, and you just kind of have to look around and even ask your the butcher that's at the grocery store if they offer anything like that, because typically there's a point during the week, and if you start looking at the expiration or the sell-by dates, I should say, of meat, you'll figure out what day you, you need to stop at the grocery store at, because they mark down meats about 50% like a day or so before the sell-by date to get rid of them. Uh-huh. And that's when I've bought organic chickens, um, pounds of grass-fed beef, all sorts of stuff for 50% off. And I just buy I'm like the person who buys it all, and I put it in my freezer. And then that way I don't have to buy meat for like a couple of months because I have plenty in my freezer to go through because it's all vacuum-sealed and it's able to – sit perfectly fine in the freezer that way. 
So that's a really great way to start. So sometimes you're going to spend more, but that's okay because long term, if you're not spending all that money, if you're not spending ten, you know, eight to ten dollars a week per pound of grass fed beef, hey, that's great. You bought it at five dollars a pound, and right. you have it set. You're you're set for a few weeks. That's such a cool tip. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so. Let's, oh, actually, you know what, I want to I get into the home and talk more about freezing, but I just have yeah. one more question. I mean, are you cutting coupons? Sure. Are you looking at sales and stuff like that? I mean, are you spending a lot of no. time? Are you recommending people no. do that? Okay, cool. All right. So, any- if, if, if they really feel so inclined, but to be honest with you, what I have found is that coupons typically work for packaged products. Mm. Right, because a company is offering a coupon on its product. So if you need, like, paper towels, then I guess that would be great. But if you're going to look for apples, there's usually not coupons for apples. So you can look at the circulars. Like, I'll get a circular every Friday, and I'm typically I throw them away at this point. Well, I recycle them. But um, (laughs) if you look, you're only going to be able to look at the front page maybe the uh, one half of another page that's about it the rest of the circulars are loaded with junk okay so you're you're pretty limited from that perspective but no i don't cut coupons and if you really feel so inclined that you want to try a product um and when i say product i don't think that all products are bad because technically if you were to look at like and we i mentioned a company and i have no relation with them i just i do buy their products they're the sprouted the company that sprouts their beans ahead of time um and they're certified gluten-free they're called true roots organic so it is organic and it's all sprouted mung beans sprouted lentils sprouted all sorts of stuff if, if a client's looking for that but like that's technically a food product because it's bagged so you could go back to a company and you're like, hey, I'd really like to try some of your products. Would you mind sending me like a coupon to give it a try? And a lot of times a company will send you a coupon as a first-time customer because they'd like you to to try things. Mm -hmm. So that's another way if you're like on the fence about buying something that's new, you just go to the company and see if they'll be willing to send you a coupon or two in that way. You know, if you don't like it, worst things in the world have happened you can give it away to a friend or whatever yeah okay good tip you know i really appreciate that you are not a coupon person i mean that's a that's a huge time saving right there and i think a lot of folks shopping the standard american diet you know put a lot of attachment around the circulars and coupons and you know eliminating that from your whole foods clean diet that you're talking about you know it's a big time saver so i i like that And I also think that there's a mentality there that you need to um, realize is that somebody who's cutting coupons and looking at Groupons and um, there's a mentality of like, how can I get deals? And really, I'm not looking for a deal when Mm -hmm. I go to the grocery store. I'm looking for good value. So for me, it's different. Like if if the grass-fed beef's not on sale, I will still buy a pound of it, but when I, it's like I feel like I, I struck gold when I walked in and, oh, it's on sale 50% off. So, you know, I really try to, to reframe it to, to my clients that we're not looking for deals. We want to get out of the deal mentality because it's not going to serve you well, and you're just looking for cheap processed food, and that's the, one of the biggest problems to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Um, okay, so now we're home, 
and we're setting up our kitchen for um, really implementing this whole foods clean uh, elimination diet. What are you recommending? What are some foundational tips um, that we can share with our patients? You know that our you know clients, anyone listening, can can start to implement. Well, the first thing I tell people is to think about how your week is structured because not everyone has weekends off and not everyone works a traditional nine-to-five job. You'll need to ask people what they're comfortable doing. A lot of times, breakfast is an afterthought, so that will need to be adjusted because a lot of times they're in a rush, so they're eating something that's a grab-and-go item um, that they can throw into the microwave or the toaster oven and heat it up and, and go. And a lot of times you'll need to work. I know this sounds like so simple and and sometimes almost silly, but that can be a really big challenge because the way that I'm sure you would agree with this, the way you start your day with food kind of dictates what you're going to end up craving and eating a lot of times throughout the rest of the day. So I found that clients that are really addicted to starches and sugar, Mm -hmm. they always eat sugar, like a sugar-laden breakfast. And all of a sudden when they stop doing that, they actually don't crave sugar quite as much throughout the rest of the day and they make better food choices and they're more compliant, which is great. Mm -hmm. So getting someone to like go to bed 15 minutes earlier or have a breakfast ready that they could make in a crock pot and just reheat for three or four days throughout the week. You know, you can make frittatas in a crock pot. Oh, wow. yeah, you can do a lot. Crock pots are amazing. Rice cookers are amazing. Um, my my sister swears by a um, one of those high pressure cookers, uh-huh. or like that you think of for beans. But she makes stock in it and all sorts of things. And she's an acupuncturist and herbalist and recommends it to all of her clients. Oh, that's so. Great. I think that it's about you know not just the thinking about how your day is structured and where you're rushing, but also thinking about what tools can I integrate in that don't cost an arm and a leg. You don't need to go out and get a $500 crock pot. Mm-hmm. I have a one that's not electronic. I just turn a knob, and it works just fine, and it has for the last 10 years. Uh-huh. But you want to give people the tools to say, okay, well, how can I cook a bunch of items on one day. So I consider, because I guess I technically have weekends, that Sunday is my big cooking day. So that big cooking day, and it could be Wednesday for somebody else, I'm going to make sure that I've got the crock pot going, the oven going, the something on the stovetop, something in, I have a little toaster convection oven. I have something roasting in there. Um, you know, I've got maybe some... Uh, veggies, I'm going to chop up all my veggies for the week. If I know that on Wednesday I'm going to make something that involves cut up vegetables, if I can, I'm going to cut them up on Sunday. So doing all these steps ahead of time and thinking about what do I need to do to be prepared for the week to avoid preparation and cooking burnout that happens inevitably come Thursday, mm-hmm. because that's when people tend to give up and start you know, they'll just go to go out to eat. That's always what happens. They get so tired, they don't want to deal with it. If you take out a lot of those steps earlier in the week, and then I also recommend to people, if you're going to eat fish and you don't want to cook every single day, eat fish later in the week because you only have like 
one day really to eat fish. It doesn't, it can't sit in the refrigerator after you've cooked it. Mm -hmm. Like you could maybe get away to have it on a salad with lunch the next day. Mm -hmm. But that way, if you cook Thursday, you're cooking, you know, maybe two pieces of fish, one you're going to have for dinner and you'll have the, the next one over a salad the next day for lunch. So you've got lunch covered and you start to cook enough so that, you know, you've got enough meals for two to three days covered and you're just heating things up or kind of throwing things together. You can get all your salads ready all week. Um, one thing that I've actually discovered recently, instead of doing, first I was doing like Applegate Farms organic lunch meat. Mm -hmm. And I realized when I thought about it that it's still, even though it's Applegate Farms, it's still pretty processed. And it's actually really expensive when you look at the mm -hmm. weight and the amount that you get for like 5 or $6. It's only like, I don't even think a half of a pound of, yeah. of meat, lunch meat per se. And plus, it's processed. It's lunch meat. So I realized that if I actually buy, bought organic pasture-raised grass-fed beef or even chicken or turkey or whatever, and I um, sauteed that in a pan with a bunch of spices, it's number one, less processed. It's number two, way less expensive. And number three, I'm eating a more wholer food for a lot less. Right, right. That's a so wonderful those, idea. Those would be my, my tips as far as that. But I would highly encourage if someone doesn't know how to meal plan, I mean, there are meal planning services on the Internet that people can buy that will help them plan out their meals. But if they're on a really strict diet, um, they're probably going to have to do it themselves. And that can be just a challenge in and of itself of getting somebody to not feel overwhelmed of what they're going to have to cook every day. And I would say that a suggestion to, to, to help with that as well is like fresh food, like a salad can't be frozen, but if you're making a soup or a stew or a, like say um, pasta sauce or something like that, a lot of meals can be frozen. And by doing that, if you cook additional one week and you're like, okay, I'm just going to freeze two portions, you then create a list on the front of your refrigerator of when you made it and what it was. Make sure to mark the containers. That way they don't get lost somewhere and you have no idea what it is anymore. And you can go through and just cycle through that food. And that can also, like, one week um, if you had an emergency pop up and you can't, you can't cook, like, it's just not possible, you could use the food in your freezer and still stay compliant on your diet. Right, right. So when do you, so you have Sunday as your major cooking day and you've got all burners going, plus your convection and your slow cooker and all of that. Well, are you doing your shopping that day too? Or do you try to bang out your shopping um, during the week? I try to do it during the week. And I'm the queen of efficiency, so I'll usually do it when I'm driving past that particular store. And then Saturdays, Saturday mornings, because it's like, this, it's really important to me, I go to my farmer's market every Saturday morning. Okay. And you've just gotten yourself into that habit, and then you, mm -hmm. and then you do um, your Sunday major cook day. Lots of freezing, sort of your rough planning menu up on your, up on your refrigerator. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, and then I also tell people, too, because a lot of times, especially if you're dealing with brain fog and you forget things, and that's okay. I, I've been there, and a lot of times at the end of the week you're really tired. Um, I'll actually write out the steps if it's really important, like, oh, I'm going to make fish Thursday night. Well, Wednesday morning or Thursday morning when I get up before I 
I don't actually leave to go to work because I work from home. But if I did, what I used to do is I would write, take fish out of freezer and put in refrigerator. I would literally write out the step that I had to do when I had to do it. And I had trained myself because I'm going to go to the refrigerator anyway to just look, what do I need to do this morning? And that way, by the time I got home, the fish is defrosted. Because a lot of times people will forget what they have to do in order to cook that night and they get home and it's not defrosted or whatever. And again, that's where the food compliance kind of goes by the wayside. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for that. So we're heading in the home stretch and I want to save a few minutes at the end for you to talk a little bit about your book because uh, you cover a lot of this. So I think your book is you know, would be really handy for, for folks to have. And then, you know, you can tell people a little bit about your website and anything else. But before we go there, um, eating out in restaurants, I, I'm sure that you have some thoughts around that. I'm definitely the Thursday night, let's go eat out person because <laughs> I'm burnt out from my week. So I fit that. That's really funny that you said it. We, were, we went out to eat last night and today's Friday. Um, <laughs> So I was chuckling. Um, But I want to eat clean. I want to eat reasonably healthy. You know, I've got some food restrictions. I avoid gluten. Um, But, you know, for so so what are some what are some tips for for eating out well? Well, the first tip is you've got to look for restaurants that are more upscale. I mean, I would not expect going to a fast food restaurant to eat well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's a a big thing is people want to go to IHOP because they say, well, I could tell them I'm gluten-free and they'll keep the batter out of the eggs. And I'm like, but why are you at IHOP in the first place? Yes. <laughs> good quality food. Yes. So you want to look for better quality restaurants. And I think one of the, and this applies actually to just the desserts and eating out, because I think that desserts have permeated so much of our meal and snack, like desserts, snacks have become desserts all of a sudden, um, so that people are just eating sugar all the time. And the same goes for eating out. People are eating out all the time. And really, those things were a treat. Yeah. So why not make them a treat? Like, if you're going to go out, don't think, well, how can I spend less than $10? Why don't you go out and actually have a really nice meal and make it worth your time and your energy to go sit down at a restaurant that maybe does focus on farm-to-table? Um, or that really does try to make an effort to get things more organically. I know that we don't all live in cities or communities where that's feasible, and I understand that, and you're going to have to kind of suss that out for yourself depending on where you live. But one of the things that I always kind of focus on is when I go out to a restaurant, I'll look and see, like, what kind of vegetables can I get in a big salad and then what kind of, I mean, I do eat meat, so, and I tend, because I know at home I don't, I'm not like a fish lover, so I know that I, when I go out, I'll tend to get fish instead, just because I, I, I'm trying to compensate for what I don't do at home as much, mm-hmm. but I try to look for like, what are my protein options that I can get, um, you want to make sure that they're cooking your, if you get like a meat or fish, that it's not breaded. Um, or um, dredged in flour and that they're cooking it on a clean surface because a lot of times that's contaminated from other pieces of meat that were dredged in flour. Um, you want to make sure that, you know, I mean, I would say, like, 
avoid all of these, you know, canola oil and all this stuff, but that's not, not necessarily realistic when you're eating out unless the restaurant has a firm stance against using those type of ingredients and you can't go in there and demand that they change their practices just for you. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's about making the right choices and then talking to the restaurant ahead of time, not when you sit down for a meal and assuming that you're going to lecture the waiter or lecture the manager Make phone calls. I I encourage clients to create a list of restaurants that they have researched online, they have looked at reviews, they've called and spoken with someone and that they are comfortable with. And when people say, hey, let's go out to eat, be the first person to make suggestions. Oh, my gosh, there's a really great Moroccan restaurant over on such and such avenue. I'd love to try that. I know you were saying how much you love Moroccan. Like, focus on what, what would encourage that person or entice the, your uh, fellow diners to go to that restaurant. Rather than allowing everyone else to pick a restaurant and you trying to micromanage away around eating you know, I, I know too many people that will just, like, I'll have a little tiny side salad with some lemon and some olive oil, and they're miserable. Yes. And you're like, why bother at that point, you know, aside from the company? So I think it's important that you do the homework yourself and you're comfortable with it. And if you're on a really restrictive diet mm-hmm. initially, you might have to accept the fact that it's going to be a challenge to eat out. And if you do need to go out in those cases, eat at home first. And then when you go, have a cup of tea. Like, I even bring my own tea bags because I'm, I, there's gluten in tea, there's chemicals in tea, there's, I like don't, do not trust what restaurants serve for tea. So I bring my own tea bags and I'll get some tea and, um, you know, I just enjoy the company. Mm-hmm. And I know that some people feel that they need to eat, but, You know, I think that we focus sometimes a little too much on food Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we should focus on being out and being with people and enjoying the moment, um, especially when you cannot really, um, if, you know, if you're telling somebody they're like, they've got to be on a low histamine diet or they've got to comply with all these things, you're going to have a hard time with a restaurant that's going to be able to, to like meet your needs unless it is a super high end place that you're paying, you know, 150 or more a plate, something like that. I mean, I hate to say that, but I was actually at a restaurant like that just this week. It was $150 a head, and they were willing to comply with all of my needs. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time I've ever been at a restaurant that was willing to go that far. Mm-hmm. But, but that's that's the price you pay. And I thought, well, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'll go. I'll check it out. It was great. But... Um, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, eating out should be something that's more a treat rather than a necessity every day or so. I love the idea of this energetic shift that you're proposing where we actually use it to be with community and to you know, enjoy each other's company instead of it being about the food. Um, I like the tea bag idea. You know, I, I do have patients who pack their own uh, oil and vinegar or spices too. And mm-hmm. I think um, also very practical, you know, have a, li- a ready list of safe restaurants. Um, I do for my area here. So I generally know where I can go and get something that's going to be farm raised or, um, or organic and, and, and it's that's it's inc- it's very useful for those Thursday nights when um yeah when I am in the burnout mode <laughs> but I am but you know <laughs> but we're we will we're a slow cooker family we're a slow cooker household too and we're doing uh we're doing it more and more especially uh as it's about 50 degrees out and you know I'm bundled yeah. in my wool sweater today it's definitely sl- slow cooker time um 
Okay. Jen, tell me a little bit about, or tell, tell the listeners a little bit about some resources that they can access from you. Well, I have an incredible amount of recipes, and my website, gluten-free-school.com, is not necessarily a recipe website, but I typically propose one new recipe a month, and I have a really great library that people can access. Everything is gluten-free. Um, most of the recipes are also egg-free and dairy-free as well, and if they're not, there's substitution suggestions there. Um, and then I have res- um, plenty of research articles that are not super sciencey. They're meant for your patients because I actually worked for my father for 10 years. He's an MD and a PhD. He's an ophthalmic surgeon, and I worked directly with patients. And with him, and I noticed that there tends to be a leap, unfortunately, between the knowledge that a patient knows and what they can understand because of their perhaps limited medical knowledge and experience, and then what a physician is trying to explain. And and what you're trying to explain to a patient may be a very complex situation that is just terribly overwhelming. So what I found that my superpower in life is, is to be able to take those very complex medical topics or situations and boil them down into something that, number one, is valuable for the patient, number two, gets them out of that state of being afraid and overwhelmed, and number three, helps them understand what they can do in their own life as far as food or looking at various aspects of their health, whether it be autoimmunity, um, gluten sensitivity, any number of things that are involved in this whole sphere of, of, of health and wellness from a more functional perspective. And, um, and, and that's what I'm able to provide. Um, I have a lot of different resources, and I do work with clients, um, and I have functional med- medicine practitioners that will send me their clients that need help, especially when they need help going gluten-free and they're just totally overwhelmed and and scared and don't know what to do. Um, But, you know, I have my book, The Savvy Gluten-Free Shopper, which is a great resource as well. It also includes, I think, 27 recipes, Mm -hmm. um, and it teaches you how to meal plan. And it has an additional bonus that people can go once they buy it and download a step-by-step visual and instructional guide on how I was just explaining to meal plan because I think it's complicated to explain, but I'm, I'm a visual learner. So I plotted it out in how I would show someone step-by-step how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a big believer that we really need to teach people how to fish. You know, we say, you know, they have that, there's that, um, that phrase, you know, you feed a, feed a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he can feed himself for a lifetime. And that's ultimately my goal is to help people learn to fish so that they can be self-sufficient, they can be more compliant, and ultimately they feel better because guess what? You can give all the best direction you want in the world, but if somebody can't follow it, if they can't do and they're not self-sufficient in this stuff, they're not going to get better. Right. Um, so I think it's a really great um, opportunity for people who are looking for more support. They're looking for inspiration and stuff that's realistic. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I am a realist. I live in the real world and I get that people are stretched for time. Some people are stretched for money um, and they just, 
they want to feel like they're not the odd person out and that they're alone in this. Um, and I have a really great community and a great social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. But the website is really great, and I have a great weekly newsletter and um, other things that people can use as resources to improve the quality of their life. Jennifer Fugo, it's been my pleasure to talk to you today. You've offered us, you've enlightened me, and I really appreciate that. And I know you've offered the listeners lots of great information. Thank you for joining me on the New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Again, I'm Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Uh, Until next time.